here. I'm Linda McHenry, host of Taking the Mystery Out of Insurance. Thanks for joining me. Today is Tuesday, August 4th, 2020, and this is episode number 16. Prepare your policyholders for hurricane season. If you'd like more information about who I am, what I do, my books, YouTube channels, and podcasts, visit my website at lindamchenry.com. The podcast page also offers you the opportunity to submit questions for each week's Q&A section of the podcast or to request a guest spot. You might also want to check out my book, Taking the Mystery Out of Business, which discusses what I view as the nine fundamentals for professional success. It starts out talking about attitude, talks about relationships, time management, organization, and a number of other topics. You can find it on Amazon, in paperback, and as an ebook. Now let's talk about how you can prepare your policyholders for hurricane season. A lot of people think hurricane season is just the month of September, and that's not true. In the Atlantic, it runs from June 1st to November 30th, and in the Eastern Pacific, it runs from May 15th to November 30th. A few other things to know about hurricane season are that its biggest threat is storm surge to those states along the coast, and storm surge becomes an even bigger threat at high tide. The National Weather Service says the average number of hurricanes keeps increasing over time, and that the states most affected by hurricanes are Texas and Florida because they have the longest coastline. The four biggest areas of weakness in buildings during a hurricane are the roof, windows, entrance doors, and garage doors. Although standard property insurance policies provide coverage for the perils of wind and hail, they do not provide coverage for the peril of flood. It's also important to realize that some coastal states permit the exclusion of coverage for damage caused by the perils of wind and or hail in homeowners and commercial property insurance policies. Other states impose higher deductibles for the perils of wind and or hail. All policies exclude water damage caused by flood and storm surge. To obtain insurance in states with total wind exclusions, your clients have to obtain property coverage in state fair plans, in the state's wind and or beach pools, or in some other residual market. Something you might want to pass along to your clients is the information about the wind-resistive elements of buildings, which include certain types of roofs and their roof coverings, which you can learn about in the roof ratings. The gable roof is the most popular roof, but it's also the most vulnerable roof to wind. You need to suggest to your clients that they protect all openings to their buildings, so that means windows, doors, garage doors. You might also want to suggest that they upgrade their exterior doors and windows to meet wind-resistive requirements of current building code. In order to assure that a building has a continuous load path, construction elements must indicate that the roof-to-wall connections prevent the roof from being blown off the building. Most homes built since 1990 have continuous load paths, but if they don't, it may be possible for the building to be retrofit. If your policyholders choose not to buy coverage for flood and or for the peril of wind in any of those special marketplaces, they're going to find themselves uninsured in many cases if their property is subject to the high sustained winds during a hurricane. And if that happens, they might think that they can rely on disaster assistance from the federal government, but oftentimes that doesn't work. Eligibility for federal disaster assistance contains numerous requirements, including the location of the property being subject to a federal disaster declaration by the president, not just a disaster declaration by the governor of the state. To learn more about how you can help your clients understand their risks during a hurricane, 
and to emphasize the need to make sure their property insurance policies provide coverage for the perils of wind, hail, and flood, look for today's blog post in connection with this podcast episode at my website at lindamchenry.com. It contains URLs to sites that provide excellent resources for you to use for yourself, and you can also share them with your clients. Now let's do our weekly Q&A. episode, I answer questions submitted by listeners. And this week's question was asked by Frank, who attended a Medicare webinar that I conducted recently. And you might want to look forward to a podcast episode coming in September where I I talk about Medicare because open enrollment will begin soon thereafter. So Frank's question is, Linda, I'm confused. What's the difference between SSDI and SSI? I thought they were the same thing. Well, they're not. SSDI is Social Security Disability Insurance, and SSI is Supplemental Security Income. SSDI is paid to people who are disabled, and they apply to Social Security and are approved for benefits because they worked in employment that was covered by the Social Security program. It means that their wages were subject to Social Security and Medicare taxes. So for people who work for the federal government or people who never worked at all, they will not be eligible for SSDI benefits. Supplemental Security Income, on the other hand, is a federal program, but it has nothing to do with the Social Security program. It provides payments to people who are so poor that they can't afford their own shelter, food, and clothing. So they're completely different types of benefits, although they are federal benefits. So that's it for this week's episode of Taking the Mystery Out of Insurance. Once again, if you'd like to learn more about me and what I do, or you'd like to find all my podcasts, YouTube channels, and blog, visit my website at lindamchenry.com. You can learn more about my book, Taking the Mystery Out of Business, which is now available on Amazon. Remember, clueless is a dangerous place to be. Tune in next time as we investigate some more insurance mysteries together. (laughs) 